Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up, and with me is my co-host, the editor of News Data's California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney. News Data covers the energy sector in California, the Northwest, and beyond like no one else. And uh, we're looking at some of our top stories, but first, Jason, how are you doing? Great, Dan. How's it going today? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, nothing really special going. We had a heat wave up here and it's cooled down. I've uh, spent a few days just trying to keep keep the kids, uh, you know, cooled off. We don't we don't have AC up here because uh, we don't get that hot that often. But, you know, if well, summers keep getting these heat waves, we might have to rethink that at some point. Yeah. Nah. It always spells trouble for the power grid when we have those west wide heat waves. So keep your fingers crossed for summer. Yeah, and those uh, that changing climate trends, those changing climate trends are part of uh, what's driving a lot of you know, long-term volatility and interesting times ahead uh, for the energy markets, the wholesale market, especially in the uh, West, uh, in Northwest California and the West. And uh, we recently hosted a conference on, on the wholesale power markets along with uh, CJB Energy Economics. I'd say the speakers had some really fascinating insights here about uh, volatility in the natural gas markets is not leaving anytime soon. And that is just going to be something we're going to have to live with. And things like the Enbridge pipeline explosion in 2018 really exposed how brittle the West's aging delivery infrastructure is. It, you know, beyond that, uh, the Northwest hydropower system, it's been this kind of just solid, reliable thing. And it, it, it still is, but the reality is it's getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And we've heard it time and again that uh, the Northwest is moving from a surplus uh, surplus industry or, or sector to having to rely on exports a lot or imports a lot more. Uh, so, you know, we're as one speaker said, uh, where's that new flexibility going to come from? You know, there's a lot of talk about things like energy storage and batteries, but that's great for a few hours. And also uh, the price declines in batteries have kind of flattened out a bit, as uh, another speaker mentioned. So, I mean, yeah. there's this is just some of the, so just hitting like a, a small handful of the insights. It was a, it was a really fascinating conference. Uh, but yeah. And one of the things that we talked about, or they talked about, of course, was uh, resource adequacy. And you've got some news coming out of the uh, California Public Utility Commission about that. Yep. Uh, CPUC at their meeting last week uh, took some actions to maintain grid reliability at the local level, along with some other measures aimed at resource adequacy. Um, CPUC at the meeting approved a proposed decision from administrative law judges regarding resource adequacy, local capacity obligations for 2023 to 2025. Also addressed in the rulemaking are flexible capacity requirements for 2023, uh, refinements to the state's RA program and the adoption of Southern California Edison's 24 hour slice reform track framework with modifications. Uh, the California independent system operator, which conducts a local capacity requirements study uh, that serves as a basis for the RA program, estimates that the capacity needed for all local areas to ensure long-term re reliability is 25.4 gigawatts for 2023, and then uh, climbing slightly for 2024. 
Uh, in the proposed decision, the ALJs found that modifying the RA measurement hours to align with CAISA's revised availability assessment hours is reasonable. The uh, availability assessment hours are intended to correspond with the hours in which high demand conditions typically occur, and thus when RA res resources are most critical to reliability. That's the proposed decision from the CPUC. Yeah, and you know, uh, as, as I mentioned earlier with hydropower, that's been kind of the backbone of uh, resource adequacy here in the Northwest. And I do have some sure. good news about that. We've talked uh, so much about drought in recent years, and we'll come back to that at mm -hmm. the end, uh, towards the end of this. Uh, but for right now, the Northwest uh, Bonneville Power Administration is looking at to have some a really strong secondary sales uh, market, this uh, revenue this summer. They've We've had a late wet spring here, above average snowpack, and especially in Canada and the upper areas of the Columbia River Basin. So far, they they uh, recently increased their estimate for revenue forecast from the secondary market to 566 million, mm -hmm. uh, which was a boost of about 110 million. Wow! So not a bad, not. Yeah, not a bad tweak there. So yeah, uh, sure. hopefully, hopefully, good times ahead for BPAs on the secondary market. Uh, yeah. Of course, you know we've all got a you've got a story uh, about the reality of uh, supply chain problems here that's affecting everybody. Yeah, it's I took a, a week a look last week at the Uyghur Forced Labor Protection Act. Uh, Uyghur is an ethnic group found in uh, North. Eastern uh, Northwestern China, um, mm. the, the and it's spelled U Y G H U R. Um, but last week, the U.S. began enforcing a new law meant to prevent imports of materials produced with forced labor in China, which is another complication for the solar industry that's been dealing with supply chain issues, uh, especially in California. Um, this really comes at a kind of a bad time for the, the industry in that regard. Um, so evidence of forced labor used to produce solar components in Xinjiang region of China is more than anecdotal. There was a July 2021 20, study by the U.S. State Department, Department of Homeland Security, and other agencies that found People's Republic of China is committing genocide against Uyghur Muslims and other ethnic groups listing the solar industry as one that has forced labor in its supply chain. Vast majority of solar modules in the U.S., of course, are imported with about three quarters of imported equipment coming from Southeast Asia. According to this report by the U.S. agencies, Chinese government has placed more than one million people in internment camps where detainees are subject to, to a yeah. really harrowing yeah. list of abuses. Um, yep. Forced labor in every stage of the solar production process. I think this is something that um, the industry has been aware of for some time and is trying to correct. Trying to correct. Dan Witten, who's vice president of public affairs for Solar Energy Industries Association, told us, "Quote: The use of forced labor is abhorrent, and we support policies that ensure there is not forced labor in the solar supply chain." Unquote. Um, he said the plan by U.S. Customs and Border and Department of Homeland Security is one that allows solar companies to demonstrate that forced labor is not used in the production. So, yep, um, things coming from this region will now have to show that they were not used with forced labor. 
Um, so we'll see if the Chinese government tries to get around that. But a uh, rather serious issue there with solar equipment. And just to be clear, this is separate from the Department of Commerce's investigation into that's been right. affecting solar development. So, I mean, this is just like a one-two punch here for yeah. solar developers. But, I mean, you know, this is the reality of China. It's it's something that we talk about so much, just China in and of itself. Um, and they they put a lot of effort into presenting a public face that really hides yeah. the, what's going on. And the reality is it is a totalitarian state that is mm -hmm. massacring people. At, yeah. uh, I mean, that's the ugly truth. There's a, you know, it, a lot of it's it really looks bad. like uh, a Western, you know, Western cities and there's affluence and, and some, some freedoms, but at the same time, then you've got like curtailing freedoms in Hong Kong and what's been going on to the Uyghurs and stuff in yes. Tibet. I mean, it's, yeah, it's easy to look the other way and just, just ignore it. But uh Speaking of renewables, uh, as we as we were, uh, Portland General Electric is considering speeding up its procurement of renewable energy to meet Oregon's 2030 clean energy goals. Uh, this would be faster than its plan laid out in the integrated resource plan. The utility says it still plans to acquire 150 average megawatts of renewables with capacities in the 300 to 500 megawatt range along with 100 megawatts of renewables for its Green Future Impact Program, and about 388 megawatts of emission-free capacity resources that it needs to meet its 2025 capacity needs, which as uh, the plan was originally laid out in the 2019 IRP. But in its latest request, uh, it says changing market conditions and intense competition from utilities indicate around the rest indicate that it might be more cost effective to uh, acquire those additional renewables now rather than later in the decade as originally planned. So, I mean, we're talking about moving things up several years, which is interesting given uh, the concerns about the supply chain and inflation, but uh, PGE sees this, I guess, uh, yeah, as more beneficial to, to spend now rather than wait for, uh, you know, what, what prices are going to be like later on. Hmm. And at the same time, uh, the Idaho PUC approved Idaho Power's request to speed up its depreciation for coal-fired Jim Bridger power plant. So, um, yeah, uh, across the Northwest, utilities are uh, speeding up plans to get away from fossil fuel resources and, and get into renewables. Oh, yes. That's a trend that we're seeing quite a bit, of course, around the West. And I guess we'll finish with a little bit of drought news uh we had some brief good news for the june 16th to june 23rd report from the u.s drought monitor there was marked improvements in drought conditions uh in the northern portion of the western u.s conditions across the pacific northwest to the great northern great plains were improving and the weather pattern included a persistent storm track and near to below near to below normal temperatures drought conditions improved by one category from the pacific northwest to montana improvements in montana results of a seven-day precipitation surpluses that's the latest drought monitor report uh reporting by linda daly paulson that you can read in cem that's about it for drought in the west but there i'm sure there will be more to come in, in oh, days yeah. 
months and years ahead. Well, uh, thanks for joining us. That's all from me, Dan Catchpole. Thank you for listening. And as always, please rate and review this podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and let other people know about it. Energy West is edited and produced by our colleague, Sarah Wooten at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucas Smith at Lucky Sound Studio. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at dcatchpole. And my co-host, Jason Fordney, is on Twitter. He's at Fordney Energy. That's Fordney, F-O-R-D-N-E-Y, Energy. Yep, thanks for the plug. You can read more of our coverage at newsdata.com. Nobody covers energy in the West like we do. You can follow us on Twitter. CEM is at CEM News Data. That's letter CEM News Data. Our sister publication, Clearing Up, is at CU News Data. That's the letter CU News Data. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. You've been listening to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Tomorrow. 